Welcome to Finding the Others with me, Brian Penny, and my co-host, Neil O'Murku. shift in perspective so it was when I had that huge shift after my mm. addiction through copious amounts of suffering let's say and, and, and physical struggles that I went through I started my mind just started switched over and I had this just this shift in perspective and whatever I felt I, I remember I just described I described it in my book actually of just this profound experience where the world just felt alive that's mm. the only way I can yep. describe it it I was like that. The, the, the sounds were just so sweet and beautiful. The birds chirping. I was on a little farm up in a detox center. And the, the, the nature, I was walking around the farm that the morning that I had the first big shift. And it was like, it was an October morning, dew-soaked morning, beautiful morning. And it was like I could just feel the droplets of dew on my skin. And it was just part of me. I can't describe it. And that's probably the closest I felt I've ever gotten to God, yeah. whatever God is. And I had another experience. That was sort of a warped experience because I was coming off the back of 15 years of heroin addiction. Yeah. So there was all this weird delusion that I thought I was in touch with the animals. Like yeah. literally thought I was like Dr. Doolittle. It was all this mixed yeah. delusional immense feelings, profound feelings yes. mixed with this yeah. delusional sense of self because I was lost for so many years. But the following year I went over to... Um, I went over to Portugal, traveling on my own to Alvor, and I was reading the Tao. That was my first time yeah. getting, I was meditating loads. I was really getting onto all to these deep ancient books and I was reading the Tao, but I wasn't, obviously the Tao was just like 48 brief pages, yeah. little poetry pages, but I was reading them and sort of sitting with them and focusing mm. on them and trying to reflect on them and just sort of sitting with them really. Yeah. And I remember on the beach one time, I was up having a dinner in one of the little, uh, restaurants on the beach and I, I'd gone over in May or April I think so I was really the only person there in the restaurants at the time I went I was going back to these same ones and I remember just feeling this weird shift and I says I, I can't it's indescribable it is mm -hmm. actually indescribable it was like timeless and I says I need to get down to the beach and I started to walk down to the beach and one of my memories was sort of what feeling the sand started going through my toes the sand was cold but it was warm out going through my toes and I had this knowing that this was a profound experience and I didn't know how to verbalize it timelessness mm. is the best mm. feeling I can give and this like fullness and I remember at one stage the thinking mind was sort of jumping a little in I says I need to take a snapshot of this and I remember looking up the stars and I need to remember this but I knew I couldn't. I knew I just had to experience it in the moment. And I was down at the beach for about three or four hours that just felt timeless and beautiful and full and depth. Totally indescribable. I'm not giving it any, mm. I'm not giving it enough credit for the, the power yeah. of that experience. And I knew I wasn't going to have it the next day, but I went home to the hotel, went to bed that night, still feeling the remnants of that. And that was the closest I ever got, I think, to the pure power of what we might think of the Yam and the Atman and yes. God or whatever like yes. that. And I remember for a while after that, trying to chase that, meditating more, yes. striving yeah, to chase yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was never going to get there, like, you know, but that's 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 as close as I've come to touching that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I know if I went to Nepal and meditate in the temple for the rest of my life, I might get near that again. I think yeah. that's what the real spiritual people talk about. And that's the, the, their arena of life. But yeah. I think there's, there's, something, there's something massively in that, you know. What I love about that description, both, both your experience is our, our view our sensory view of our of our experience is so narrow, you know, yeah. our five senses or our, whatever yeah. many senses we want, because we have to survive, we have to run for the bus, we have to, whatever it is. And in those moments where we are just open, it's like the filter opens up a bit more and we can get a greater sense of the different connected kind of relationships between ourselves and the things. 
you know, people describe it when they take, say, psychedelics and they're just blow, the door blows wide open and it closes again. Yeah. But, you know, say through breathing or through practice like that, you do have those experiences where the thing, where the filter just opens enough, the door opens enough for yeah. you to feel those. And then, you know, and then it kind of closes again, you know, naturally. And I've had experiences like that through breathing where all of a sudden things make sense. But, you know, it all kind of like, oh, I understand. I understand. That's it. That's <laughs> and then it kind of, and then it's, not, then it slowly kind of closes yeah. again. And I remember I had an experience like that in Wim Hof's house years ago, one of the breathing sessions and I had this massive revelation about, um, you know, it's, it's, it's in the book as well, but this revelation that my relationship with my granny, who was a woman who was probably very frightened of being poor and, and, and it made her into kind of a mean person. And I, I always remember that and my relationship with my granny, like, not liking her basically, mm. had then somehow affected all the relationships with the women in my life, my wife, my mother, my wow. sister. So I got up off the floor in Wim's house and had this revelation like, what? And in that moment, I forgave, you know, forgave my granny and all that kind of stuff. And it all kind of had this trickle effect to my life. And it was like that. It was like the, the, the doors of perception were just opened enough for me to see this thing. Yeah. And then they were closed slowly. But then the ego kind of, the the ambition, you know, all that kicked in and I was saying to myself, right, tomorrow I'm going to go and do that again. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go back there. Yeah. So the next day I lay down on the, on the floor in the hotel before I went to Wim's house to do this breathing again. And of course, my body was just like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. You yeah. know, the breathing was intense. My body was like, but it was the, it, again, coming back to this, clinging to the experience yeah i wanted it again instead of just ex in, in, like experiencing it and letting it go and getting great value from it but it's just human nature to want to replicate it again yeah. you know and the chase the chase yeah and that comes around you know in in all facets of, of life yeah. you know and and that was one of the things that i realized that through the breathing and the med meditation we can have these moments where it all makes sense and the doors of perception open beautifully and they don't happen very often, mm. but they happen every now and then. But it, if we're looking and we're like looking for it and clinging to it, it definitely doesn't happen. Then. It's, it's, do you know, do you know, you're at the really, it's really striking how you're at the highlighting to me. Whereas I was chasing that, striving to get that again. Where now talking to you about it, my position is the gratitude I have for getting that yes. one experience. Yeah, and that's that's the difference that time makes there. Yeah. How are, what's your thoughts on psychedelics? I think they're very valuable to human, yeah. humankind. Um, I was, I, I was obsessed, still am a little bit with mushrooms, mm. all types of mushrooms. I'm getting and, there, I'm starting my journey starting, I think in terms of looking into yeah, that. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, very early on, oh, about 10, 15 years ago, I was looking at, so, so the, now I might get some of the details wrong, but there was, let's say there was a team of, of Vatican professors looking into the Dead Sea Scrolls and some of those ancient texts they found, you know, in, in the 1960s, 1950s. And one of them, as they were, as they were going through the texts, they started to discover that there was a connection between the early Christians and the fly agaric mushroom, the sacred mushroom. Mm, so they Moses. Were, and they were consuming yeah. this yeah. And, and seeing it. And they were starting to find evidence of it. But obviously, you know, if you have a, a religion based on one view and now all of a sudden you're finding a, a, a view that's counter to that, that, that can cause a little bit of problems. Mm. So they so they started to, you know, 
and maybe not oppress or suppress the information, but anyway, they were kind of, it was silenced. But one of the professors kind of broke away and wrote a book about the whole thing, which was then banned and all this kind of stuff. So eventually I found the book. It's called The the Cross and the Sacred Mushroom, or The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. And his mm. father, a, a, a Allegra, I think is his name. And it took me a long, I was living in London, it took me a long while to find the book. The book is all about the, the source of all the words and what they actually mean. But they also have images of the frescoes in, in the Middle East. And the frescoes clearly show the mushroom, you know, and clearly wow. show as part of this fertility. So that really got me thinking about, yeah. about that. And of course, there's all these, there's a theory about the, you know, our ancestors finding the psychedelic mushrooms, you know, and eating them. And that could be part of the kind of jump in our consciousness or the kind yeah. of complexity of our, of our understanding. So I think every culture has some element of that in it. You know, in Ireland, there's magic mushrooms that grow all over the place. Mm. I think we would be very ignorant to imagine that our ancestors weren't aware of that. They were so in tune with nature, you know, and, um, and I love reading about the kind of early psychedelic experiments in, in uh, Harvard with Timothy Leary and, yeah. and even some of the professors who became people like Ram Das. you know, the effect. Unbelievable, yeah, you know, the effect. unbelievable. So I have this great that interest. Was Leary's sidekick, yeah. wasn't it? Became Ram Das. I remember I knew him as a professor and I knew Ram Das, and then someone says he became Ram Das. I'm like, no way. And like the, the effect, now obviously with everything, you can, you can go too far. Yeah. You can be abused, it can be misused, it can be misunderstood. But I'm really delighted now to see that slowly the restrictions around psychedelics are coming off and there's serious research being done. John Hopkins Incredible University. research. And, you know, and, and the therapeutic effects for PTSD, for loads of things. So I think we're coming back around to the things that we probably knew before. Mm. And for me, it's about, you know, if this thing isn't harming someone else, why couldn't a person decide that they want to use something to help them? Yeah. So what's your view on it? It's crazy, very similar to your own. And it's really interesting that the 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 pull the the, the the pull that's having on me in terms of um like I start to feel as somebody that's in recovery from I don't yeah. consider me I, I don't talk about myself as in recovery. I was someone that used drugs, I'm someone that because I struggled so badly with anxiety, I don't struggle with anxiety, I don't use drugs anymore. So I don't, I don't even yeah. like the term recovery. It's just a different stage of my life. But I would be seen by some people that would get like in the recovery movement and everyone has their own different way that I shouldn't be talking about mushrooms yeah. because it's another drug, you know, yeah. that way. So it's even I, I find a fascinating that I feel that I need to be careful about that yeah. like it, it, which is crazy in itself but for me it's like this is just a, it's a natural herb that's going back to ancient yeah. times like like it's mad to think like that like you're comparing Moses to Glastonbury yeah. you know what I mean he's a Glastonbury that's, that's literally <laughs> and that's what no wonder he wanted to shut that down you know yeah. but it's looking like we're looking at the, the earlier research looking at the research now looking at all this ancient stuff and what it does to the mind like it opens up the the, 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 the doors of perception yeah. like you know what I mean I, I genuinely if I'm looking at all of the research and all the antidotal evidence I think there's some serious serious power in it and I'm actually planning the, this the, the next time. Uh, like I said, it's not an obsession by any stress because I don't know when they come out, but I do want to do mushrooms in the next year. I want to get yeah. me on. I want to experience it. I like doing things firsthand yeah. to see what it is. Like I was thinking of going on a proper mushroom retreat. So I'll probably yeah. still do that, but I definitely want to experience it firsthand to do it properly and to see. Like I've done, so it, I've done magic mushrooms in the past. 
I'd done LSD in the past, yeah. massive amounts when I was a young kid, but it was all about getting mad out and getting high. Yes. So I'm I'm interested to experience it on the level of opening up the doors of awareness. Yes. And it's, 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 I just think it could be, I think it could be as big as the savior of the mental health crisis that's yeah. gone on. I think it could be that big and some of the evidence is looking that way. My thoughts are that it's not going to be like everything else. It's not going to be the be all and end all. It'll help yeah. some people like the way we says the breath works yeah. for some people, yeah. exercise for some yeah. people, psychedelics will be for some people. And there's definitely dangers associated with it as well, especially people with for elements of psychosis and mental health issues. So yeah. it, we have to be careful around yeah. that as well. But that's where I think science will really show the way here. Yeah. And, and some of the effects that they're getting in these clinical studies are incredible. Yeah, and even there's a great book, Timothy Leary has loads of books, but his one called The, the High Priest is a kind of chrono, it's chronologically kind of documenting his his movement from being this professor in in Harvard to his discovery of the mushrooms, his discovery of LSD, and the changes that it brought about within the academic community as they were struggling. Now it was all legal at this yeah, stage. Yeah, as they were struggling to kind of comprehend what this was that they had in their yeah. hands and the effects that it could have. And the early before the research was shut down, the early results they were getting. Were just it was actually phenomenal. Phenomenal. Like the people with serious, serious problems were having amazing, yeah. amazing benefits from it. And there's a couple of experiments that again, forgive me if I don't have the details 100 percent correct, but there was lots of religious experiments. So they had an experiment where they gave um young priests, you know, uh it was on Easter Sunday, and they gave them LSD or mushrooms in Harvard. And the effects that had most of them left the priesthood, you know, and there was, and they had all these amazing experiences. But there was another one I think they gave it to a load of nuns, and a lot of them left and became and not became lesbians, but were lesbians and lived all these reopened wow. lives. And, wow! And uh, in in the sense, sorry, in the sense of the book, they really have this idea of like we have stumbled upon something huge. Yeah, and then of course it becomes illegal and it becomes even bigger and it's used, you know, yeah. as, as one of the main drivers to the counterculture in the 60s. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. And I think it's that loosening of the ego. And you think of them nuns, like it's like, imagine they're a lesbian. Oh my God, I have to hide this because I'll be shamed by yes. society. So it's like all of a sudden they become something else, a false sense of self and that the, the shackles of that is just dropped by the mushrooms yeah. and all of a sudden they can go and be their authentic selves of who they are. Yeah, It's crazy. I was only looking at a couple of uh, programs about it recently. Michael Pollan's doing some fantastic mm. work. His book, I have to read the book. I've just read, I've read a lot of... Uh, articles and videos and stuff from Michael Pollan but one of the things what, what I thought was fascinating so the big movement in the 60s and everything was looking like this is incredible yeah. but then the reason why it was banned was because um, the Vietnam War was on they wanted to recruit all of these young people who usually just obeyed and were recruited into the wars but because of the movement of LSD they were saying no free speech so they basically in America I think it was Reagan or Nixon not too sure who it was banned magic mushrooms on the back of the fact that people wouldn't subscribe to the army yeah. so he says this is the devil stopping us to run our war like oh my god and then the war on drugs on the back of that so if, if you have if you wow. have a person who can critically think for themselves yeah they are a more difficult person to make to manage yeah to mm. push into one direction or another yeah. and even your description of your experience on the beach and at, on the farm in a way there's similarity it's the doors these kind of doors in our mind are just opened a little bit so you felt everything yeah. you know you felt and for some people, psychedelics helps them do that. And I've had people like, you know, 
there's people that I would never ever so let's say I meet a lot of different types of people in my work and some people I was like oh yeah I'm sure they are very interested in psychedelics some people I would say oh maybe they're not I have met some people that would be the last people I'd ever think that would be interested in psychedelics who have gone to psychedelics because they were felt so stuck of sometimes with st stuff in the past maybe abuse or difficult mm -hmm. things that they didn't feel that they had the willpower or the practices or the consistency of practices to help them work through it. So they went to psychedelics as a way of just immediately opening that door of perception and kind of walking through it. And that's surprised me in mm. Ireland of late because, you know, you can think of Glastonbury and you can think of a certain type of person who might enjoy them. But now I'm seeing people who I couldn't imagine having an interest in anything like this, but they're going to it not recreationally. Yeah, they're going to it therapeutically. Yeah, to deal with something that they may have been unable to unblock. Yeah, and to me that's amazing that we yeah. live in a time now, probably because of access to information. Yeah, that they can find out about these things and they can access people who are experts and they can go and do them, and that's hard to control. Then yeah, you know, then there's like the there's the legislative movement to try and free these things up. There's the academic research into it, but then there's people just going and, and feeling the difference themselves. Yeah. And that's very difficult to get a handle on. You know, then 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 we're kind of free. <laughs> yeah, it's just the transparency is, you can't hide that transparency. Yeah. And that's the thing about the internet, it's brilliant for like, yeah. it, it was easy to bash that down back in the 60s, yes. but they can't do it now. And it brings me to the reason why I want to do it. Like there's a lot of people that come to me looking for help, especially because they see my journey through addiction. Mm. So they think I have the solution for addiction. I have the solution for my addiction. That that That's what I had. It was my journey. So when I think of so many people that I know that are coming to me and they're just completely stuck, this is a potential avenue because I haven't got another answer for them. Yeah. And it's even like to, 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 I love it to help people that are just completely stuck. It could be a way to open up your spiritual awareness because I do think the only solution to world suffering like the amount of suffering that's going on, I think that we need a consciousness shift. Mm -hmm. Like that's what we need. So it's like a fight between people waking up and the ego, like people going to war and all these different things and people waking up to love, whatever. Like you call it love, you call it kindness, compassion, yeah. all these different things. And it's like a fight going on that more people are waking up, but the world is getting crazier at the same time. And Who's going to win? Like, you know, yeah. and I do think that a psychedelic movement could wake people up quicker, hopefully, yeah. to give that war an edge to the to the good side. And like you're saying, it's a combination of things. You know, so for some people, a combination of this practice and this practice and this practice is their answer to addiction or yeah. their answer to the struggle. And to have access to, to another practice like this just gives everyone an option. And And, you know, just to kind of, talk a little bit more about what you said there. You know, when you look at some of the ancient texts, they nearly all have the same idea running through them. Say the Taoists, the Buddhists, the Hindus, you know, even some of the ancient Irish texts here in Ireland, even had more of an oral culture, but they kind of were written down a little bit later, is the idea that nothing changes externally until we change ourselves yeah. internally. You know, and people say, oh, well, what the hell? What do you mean by that? But if the problems and struggles are always going to come to us, you know, we can't go out there and, and solve all the problems. But if we can change internally how we react to them, how we think about them, how we feel about them, yeah, then it all changes then. Yeah. And a part of that, you can breed your way into that. You can exercise your way into that. You can 
but psychedelics is just another way for a person to, to get to that point. Yeah. Real change. Real change. The first time I really saw it was, um, so when I was kind of younger and obsessed with being a basketball player, um, the route back then, it's different now, you know, the, the internet has opened things up, but it, it, but when I was young, you'd play to a certain level here. And if you were lucky, you'd kind of go to high school in America for a few months and maybe get picked up by a college scout or something like that. So I'd played on the Irish team here and played internationally. And I got a chance to go to a high school in America for maybe six months, you know, and, and to go over, play there. And, and, and I remember I went over and I came back and it was Easter time. And when I had left Ireland, you know, this was kind of mid 90s. So the rave culture was just kind of really taken mm. off. And when I'd left Ireland, the culture for young men was to drink a load of cans and go to you know, wherever it was. In the six months that I was away, the whole dance culture had t taken off. But I was oblivious to it because I was off in America playing basketball. And I came back and in and around, say, Port Marnock, Malahide, you would have followed all these gangs of young fellas and they were always fighting with each other when they were drunk and fighting outside the chip. You know, that kind of whole kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. But now everybody was doing uh, MDMA, e e yeah. ecstasy pills, and going dancing. And I came back and there was no division between people that wow. hated these groups of young fellas wow. that hated each other were now dancing beside you. And I was standing there having missed the entire kind of change looking at this thinking what is what is actually going on that's here? a fascinating lens you oh had on that and i disappeared back to america for a while and came back and you know so for it to have got to the suburbs it was obviously there was a big dance culture in town and yeah. was all those things but it eventually got to the suburbs but that was the first time i saw where by changing someone's perspective on things, it changes their internal world a little bit and their relationships then externally were different. So when they met the lads at the chipper now, they had this bond that they had had. They'd been dancing the night before mm. at four o'clock in the morning. So they weren't scrapping with these lads. They were actually friends with these lads. And to me, that was having missed the entire development of it was I, I couldn't believe it. That's really, really interesting. And and it, it, like, it brings you back. Most people think that if they change their external environment, they will feel differently. Yes. But the research shows like if you are an angry person, full of fear, full of anxiety, and you win the lottery, you might have a little bit of a shift for a while driving your Ferrari, but you'll <laughs> habituate to that. Yeah. And then you'll just be an angry, anxious person living in a house with more money. And you probably lost a few friends in the meantime because the money problems that that caused, like those external things, you, you need a baseline amount of money to so you're not hungry and stuff like that. But after that external things, it's the it's the internal. We need to change from the inside and then we change from the outside. That's yeah. a great example of that. Yeah. It really is. And and it's and it goes back to why we look for something that helps us feel balanced. Yeah. You know, why we might practice exercise, we might practice breathing or yeah. meditation, you know. It's, it's kind of coming back to that idea that if we can find, if we give our body the a chance to find that homeostasis and that balance, then our perception of what's happening outside changes. And mm. then our reality is different. Yeah. It doesn't mean that all the problems disappear, but how we deal with the problems is different. Yeah. I, I, it's, re it's really... It's really funny the link we keep on going back. Like we're talking about drugs, and obviously the solution isn't for everyone to take MDMA and and weed. And all. for some people, it, it obviously works. Yeah. For some people, it might be mushrooms. But it's 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 the function of what we're trying to do. It's trying to wake up, it's to try to see the world in a different way. Yeah. It's having that different lens. And once you start seeing things differently and feeling things differently, 
that's when it, that's do you know what it is they often say oh yeah i have to say awareness is the catalyst for change mm -hmm. and that's what it is yeah. it's a new lens it's a greater awareness of something that's that light a light bulb moment like you had with, with your granny yeah you had that light bulb moment and that sort of rippled out the other relationships yeah. you had in your life it was like the lights came on yeah. and you can't switch them lights off no. like you know and i think you know what we're saying is that there's loads of practices it's nearly irrelevant what practice you yeah. use they're all eventually heading towards the same thing. You yeah. know, because people are often saying to me, oh yeah, but I do this type of breathing. I don't do that type of breathing. And you know, in, in some of the Hindu texts, it's like there's infinite ways to God. You know, it doesn't matter which type of breathing you do yeah. or what practice you do. Eventually, if you're doing the practice with meaning and you're practicing it and it's changing, it's all heading in the same direction. Yeah. Yeah, brings me back to that thing. Find the others. Find, find the others. <laughs> we all have our own little ways, and we have to find our ways. Find the teachers. Find the students. Find the people. But it's like there's no absolutes. When when I find people saying like that, this will work for everybody. There's no way. There's everything. Like mm -hmm. even even if exercise will make everyone fitter, people are not all going to exercise because it's just not for them. So even if yeah. it will, it, it doesn't work on the back of that. People won't put those yeah. actions in. Yeah. So uh, jumping in the sea isn't for everybody, no. even though it would change them at that biological level, it yeah. would change everybody. They're not going to get into the sea. They're not going to take yeah. them actions. So really it's about, I, I remember saying this to, to a, a, a person and a wizard of a therapist that was just absolutely brilliant. But I was saying, even if you have the solution to world suffering, if you cannot communicate that, that to people, there's not much point. It's mm -hmm. about communicating it to people and getting people to put in the actions that they can do that will benefit them most. There's multiple pathways to that. There's multiple ways of getting there and it's just finding your way. Yeah. And I think I had a conversation in London last week about someone saying to me, look, the Wim Hof method, you know, it just doesn't work for me. Mm. And I was like, absolutely grand. It's fine, yeah. Yeah. Where many years ago, I'd have been like, ah, <laughs> because it would have been like, um, a challenge to me. Yeah. You know, this thing that's so important yeah, to me. You're wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and again, but, you know, again, those edges are kind of softened with yeah. practice. They're softened with the cold. They're softened. With, so it was like, of course, it, you know, it, it doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for everybody, but yeah. there's something there. It might be this, but it might be that that'll, that'll work for that person. Oh, and that, that's that's a great example then of of the ego. Like it, it, it's, it's that conceptual sense of self. Like if you are so attached to your identity and ego as a Wim Hof person that changes everyone's lives if they practice this, yeah. like that would have hurt and so much like you know <laughs> how dare you how dare they I find out academics as well like uh, in the academic arena like their, 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 their sense of self is around their ability to be in, their intellectuality like their, mm. in their intellect yeah. so if you challenge their intellect and say they're wrong that's going to hurt so it's like softening around that like you know like yeah. if you can create these conceptual senses of self your identity and forge this identity well if that identity is tackled in any way or tainted in any way you're going to feel pain so mm -hmm. it's like who are you at the end yeah. of the day you're, you're not some identity that a set of behaviours has defined you as shaped you as we're, we're, we're always more than that you know yeah and I think that's a great way to approach it because um, I had a great teacher once and they were saying that you know let's say some, you're, you're teaching people something and, and something you know, bad happens like somebody mm. so let's say if somebody's breathing too heavily and they're breathing too hard and they can lose consciousness you know, in extreme cases or something and they were saying look 
this is actually an opportunity for everyone to learn, mm. you know, because at the beginning you might be like, oh my God, like, what happens if people, others people see this, you know, what, will they be scared or, but it's a, it's a, a chance for all of us to learn. Yeah. And, and then that becomes a chance to teach us, every, you know, it, it, the moments of adversity can be the, some of the things that we learn most from, you know, but we have to be not afraid of them. Yeah, yeah. this is it, <laughs> lean into your fears. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so many of the great books and the great quotes say that. Feel your fear and do it anyway. Yeah. Rumi, the, the, the wound is where the light gets in. I like, know. You know. And that's hard because, you know, it's, we don't always want to have to face that stuff. <laughs> this is it. How do you how do you think you can get more? So it's a couple of people in my life that I think, um, like we talk about resilience and stuff like that. And it's it's about, I think being resilient is an ability to sort of lean into discomfort. Mm. How do you think you can get help people to lean into this comfort. Is it again, back to the baby steps kind of thing? I think if we go back even before that and we go back to the person's intention, you know, yeah. the question I often ask myself, do we really want to change? Mm, yeah. Because sometimes we might kind of on a conscious level be like, yes, I want to make this change. But do we really, really want to commit to it? Do we want to, do we want to, do we want to do it? Um, and then sometimes I think it's just leading by example. You know, it's hard to kind of force somebody into a difficult situation unless they really, really want to yeah. go into it. But if a person sees another person and they can see the benefit they've had from being more resilient or for, you know, putting themselves in an uncomfortable position and, you know, and learning how to deal with it, that can sometimes, it, so it's like, it's maybe a little bit of trying to draw them to it rather than to push them towards yeah, it. Yeah. I love that. It's it's interesting. Um I often I'm asking you the question. I often give that I give that advice to others myself. Like you, you you can you can bring a horse to water but you can't make them drink. Yeah. You know that way they have to take those steps yeah. themselves. You know, yeah. and it's the actions you take and the benefits you have. I, I often see uh especially around addiction, I have a lot of people coming to me um and I say I can't make them change. I need to make them change. I need to get them to stop doing drugs and to look at life another yeah. way. Or even if it's not drug related, but that person could be stressed out of head mm. trying to get someone else that they love to change them as well. But like, I, I would say to them, well, why should they listen to you? Like, you're obviously full of anxiety. Like, you have to show the way. Yes. You have to, if you want them to act a certain way, you you act as if yeah. you'd be the, the beacon of light, you know? Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's the, because everyone had, then the person has to change themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I remember somebody saying about Gandhi and some mother brought her child to Gandhi who was saying, look, would you tell my child to stop eating so much salt? And he said, ah, come back in a few weeks. And then she came back and Gandhi said, look, stop eating so much salt. And she said, why did you wait two weeks? He said, because I was eating salt all the time. I had to change before I can tell the young <laughs> fellow. the advice. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Change is hard. Yeah, and I, and I think it's, it's hard. we're resistant to it. You know, yeah. that, you, you know from the head of the brain functions. If you're interested in learning more about my work, you'll find me at breathewithniall.com, breathewithniall.com, and breathewithniall on Instagram too. If you're interested in my work, you can find me at brianpenny.com. That's P-E-N-N-I-E, brianpenny.com, and on Instagram under brianpenny78. That's it. Epic. Talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> nice and easy. I love that.